Hey everyone, welcome to the Wild and Uncut podcast brought to you by Ruger. I'm your host, Christy Titus. Thank you for tuning in. The line is going hot, so let's go full send on this episode. And so my panel here, my breakout session here, is all about the amazing ways that well-armed women shooting chapters leaders have taken this and run with it. They are the stars of this story. The Well-Armed Women Shooting Chapters has been an amazing partner mm-hmm. because these are such proactive women in the community who are really, really, really uh, doing everything they can to educate and help people be safe gun owners. Hello, Twisters, all of you at home joining us. We're so glad that you could be here for this special breakout session. Today we have Casey Woods with us and she is the um, executive director for Forge. And we all know collectively the importance of being safe, responsible gun owners. And a lot of that goes directly to safely storing our firearms so that they don't fall in the hands of anybody that we don't want them to have. And you've really teamed up with the well-armed woman in the past year and implemented some great programs that a lot of you chapter leaders at home are already implementing. Yes, absolutely. And that's what I say at that breakout session is that um, I may be at the podium, but the stars of the story are really the twisters out there who have taken this campaign and and run with it. Um, Just to give a bit of background for folks who don't, weren't at the last conference and and we haven't spoken to in the past. Last year, we did a presentation. I did a presentation on gun theft prevention. We have this initiative called the Firearm Security Alliance. It is focused on preventing the illegal flow and use of firearms. And our first initiative with that is called the Protect What Protects You campaign. Great. And it's focused on preventing gun theft. There's 400,000 guns that get stolen from individual owners every single mm. year. Wow. And it's it's one of the top sources of crime guns. These crimes are being used to kill law enforcement officers, children, you name it. When you see those crimes being committed and you wonder where they came from, mm-hmm. unfortunately, a lot of them are coming from gun theft. And so we focus focused on, there's one uh, most of the most common kinds of gun theft, and that is from vehicles. In a lot of cities, uh, gun theft from vehicles is growing in double and triple digits every single year. Nashville's really, that's happening really prevalently in Nashville, uh, in East Nashville, actually. People are just leaving their cars unlocked with their firearms inside. I don't understand the mentality, but it happens every day. Yeah. Well, you know, one thing is we, as gun owners, we're used to having them around, you know, they, you know, it just, it, it's a habit issue, right? Mm-hmm. Well, you and know. I, and I can relate to that because like I'm out West and we all have hunting rifles and you lock them in the car and you go inside Walmart and you don't think twice about it. You know, yeah. you've, you've locked your vehicle, your firearm is inside and heaven forbid somebody steal your firearm, there are better ways to store it. But I mean, there are so many people that live in that culture where leaving your firearm in your car is is pretty normal. Yeah, absolutely. And that, that's really what we're trying to change. Most people, and we worked with hundreds of gun owners to develop this initiative, they just think that if I just go in just for a minute, yeah. you know, it's just for a minute, just for a minute. They're, you know, they just don't think it's going to happen that fast. Yeah. And we have a video on the Firearms Security Alliance webpage where somebody is breaking into a car in 15 seconds, pops the window and grabs a bag. And that's how fast it can happen. So you think you're just going in for 10 minutes. That's plenty of time for an experienced, you know, car break-in thief to steal your firearm. And so nobody wants that to happen. 
And so as gun owners, we're all about how do we protect our families and ourselves, and nobody wants that to happen. So we're all about how we empower uh, gun owners to do that. And we have found that the Well-Armed Women Shooting Chapters has been an amazing partner mm -hmm. because these are such proactive women in the community who are really, really, really uh, doing everything they can to educate and help people be safe gun owners. Mm -hmm. And so last year, like I said, we spoke at this conference, I spoke at this conference, um, and then, you know, we created a whole suite of materials, a training video, some slide presentations for chapters to use. We're all about how do we empower people to lead? It doesn't have to be us. In fact, it's better if it's not us. We, we get that out there. Are those slides available on the Well-Armed Woman website? for chapter leaders currently? They are. There is a, a, a well-armed woman chapter leader page on the firearmsecurityalliance.org. And they should have seen it. You know, they, they've distributed it um, with the, uh, you know, the national leadership. We've had, I think we've had, the training video has gotten five or 600 views. Yeah. And so that was a gated page that only mm -hmm. chapter leaders could access. So that's five or 600 people yeah, in the chapter leader good. community. Yeah. Um, and then some really amazing things started to happen. The national leadership asked all the chapters to teach this program in March. And then we started hearing from people, these chapter leaders around the country who were like, hey, I'm using it in this way and that way. And I've integrated into all my firearms classes. And I took it to the board of my range. And now it's wow. part of our new member orientation. And so my panel here, my breakout session here, is all about the amazing ways that well-armed women shooting chapters leaders have taken this and run with it. They are the stars of the story. Yeah. So what are some big takeaways from like a bird's eye view, your top few tips on gun storage if you do have your firearm in your car or like you gave that as an example, yeah. but some other ways that maybe we can protect ourselves and our firearms that we're not really thinking yeah. of in advance? Well, you know, I say it's not rocket science, right? This is not rocket science. It's really about shifting your mind to add it to those things that you do every day. Like mm -hmm. trigger, you know, the rules of firearm safety yeah. that we all learn every single time we go to a class, you know, trigger discipline, all that. Um, so first one is don't leave it in your car if you can help it, right? They, right? Don't <laughs> yeah. do that. Like that's I what a truck vault. In, yeah. the bed, in the bed of my pickup truck because um, there's a vault. I could put my firearm in the vault. It's locked in the vault. The tailgate's locked. It's double locked. Mm -hmm. I mean, I can't lock it any better than that. But that's, I mean, for a vehicular storage, it's really tough to come up with options for long rifles. Yes. And it, it is a lot harder with long rifles. It is. But most of the firearms that are being stolen are, are hand pistols. Right? Mm -hmm. And so if you, can't, if you have to leave it in your car. So number one, don't leave it there if you don't have to. Number two, if you have to leave it in your car, use a locking device or a safe. It doesn't have to be fancy, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Even if it's a lockbox cable lock to the frame, it's all about deterring. Yes, slowing them down. When you yeah. look at videos of people breaking into cars, it's a crime of opportunity, right? They're Absolutely. trying doors, right? Like half the time, they're not even locking the door, right? It's your story. You, she yes. just got done yeah. telling a story that she saw someone try the door on her um, car the other day. Yeah. I mean, yeah. people do this. They go through a neighborhood and they try those doors. Yeah. I've seen it at a gas station. In the middle of the day, they got someone on lookout. As soon as you, they went, the person went into the gas station, they said, okay, go ahead and go. And two kids just went around. This handle, this handle, this handle. Nothing. Go to the next car. This handle, this handle, this mm -hmm. handle. Yeah. No, my that mom, fast. I have somebody in my family who had a ton of stuff stolen while she was pumping gas. You know, and it, it, it's, uh, they, they, they call them sliders in Miami. 
because they like slide up to that's where I live. They yeah. slide up to the door and they try it like they're down low. So even when you're at the gas station, you got to lock your car doors. Especially yeah. when you're yes, at the gas station. Yes, exactly. That's what we're, we've been learning. Well, yes. the gas station and parking garages, there are certain places where there's a large transient population, parking lots, um, where there's a big influx of people moving in and out of an area um, and there's a lot of anonymity in those areas. That's where you're really susceptible yeah. to these types of crimes. Yeah. Well, and the other thing is people have figured out where people are leaving their, when, where they're leaving their firearms, right? Like if they've, they... They're under the seat in the front of the driver's well, seat. Uh, yeah. Well, but I mean, no, but like know. places where people are likely not to be taking their firearms inside. Uh, courthouses. Oh. Mm, gyms. You know, certain restaurants like, that sell alcohol. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, or you know, or places that um, you know there are rings of thieves that are breaking into police cars mm. because That's they are likely to get a firearm in one of them. And so nobody is safe from this. Mm -hmm. um, and so the idea is to again have these habits that protect yourself. So locking devices are safe if you have to leave it. A couple of other things: never store your firearm when people are watching. Mm -hmm. Right? If you go to a range um, and you put that firearm in your vehicle and you think you're going to go out to eat later, there are people who stake out ranges and follow the people who lead, leave to it go to sense. a restaurant. I know a former sheriff who, I mean, had a rifle in the back of his car, went to another location. His car was the only one to get broken into, and he, he had been followed. They knew what was in there, and they broke into his car. Mm -hmm. So that's another one. Never store it where somebody's watching, right? Mm -hmm. um, the other one we have is, you know, we're all proud gun owners. But don't advertise. You know, if you've got a bunch of stickers all over your, your car, you know. Good point. It, it's, I mean, it's, it's a hard truth. We do know from the people who are stealing firearms themselves that they do target cars that have a bunch of stickers on them. There was even, um, you know, some people, unfortunately, who say they were, they were targeting cars that had veteran stickers on them. Mm. Oh, yeah. You know, so it's, it's that kind of thing. Like, it's just like. You or know. the proud NRA member, right? Which you know they're proud, so they want to display it, but that is directly telling people that they yeah. probably own a firearm. Exactly. In the car. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So it's things like that. It's little things, um, but mainly, you know, it's it's about the, the, the first two are most important. Don't leave it there, and you ha yeah. unless you have to, and then lock it if you do, because the average time they're in there is like sixty seconds. Wow, they're in and out. They're in. And, they're just rifling so through. If you make it harder for them, you know, slow them down. They're going to leave, you know? So that's what we, we, we tell people to do. Yeah. When you were talking about, um, in the very beginning, you were saying something along the lines of, and I know your organization is non-political. Oh, yeah. Um, but I think what you do, I, I'm trying to figure out a way to word this because a lot of government, a lot of big government, enforces gun control and enforces mm -hmm. these laws that maybe gun owners think, myself, are a little extreme. Mm -hmm. Like, don't come at me with all these laws that are in place when the people that are breaking these laws aren't abiding by them anyways. Right. So what you, the initiative you guys are doing, it's stopping that before it happens, right? Mm -hmm. It's saying, okay, we know for sure these crimes are being committed by people, by non-law-abiding citizens. Mm -hmm. So we're preventing that so we don't... Through even... education. Exactly. Through education, yeah. Mm -hmm. That's huge. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's super important. This initiative is super important, and I, and I just wrapped my head around that whole concept. 
Well, it's really important to have political, non-political initiatives, yeah. right? This issue is so polarizing. This is a safety issue. It's, yeah, it's, it's a yeah. human issue. Yeah, absolutely. And, and it's it, the average gun owner, why do they own guns? Because they want to save lives. Yeah. And so what we do as an organization is we try and give them new ways to do that, right? It's protecting your community from crimes committed with stolen guns and ensuring that your firearm that you bought to protect yourself and your family is not being used to harm someone or you. Heaven forbid, yeah. You know, I mean, think about that. You know, everybody's worried about protecting themselves. You could come back to your vehicle and somebody could be armed with your firearm and be holding oh. up your family. So even yeah. that, that right there should give That's you pause scary. every time you leave a firearm in your car. It's something you got to think about. Um, so yeah, we really think it's important, you know, again, expanding those ways that folks can help each other. Um, I don't know if you want me to transition to this, but we also work on gun suicide prevention. Um, we have a big veteran suicide prevention initiative called the Overwatch Project. Project. Which right now, I'm sure, with everything that's happening in the Middle East, you guys are probably getting a lot of calls. Mm -hmm. And there's a huge need for this. It's, it's you know, it, it, 22 a day. Yeah. And it, it's, it's again, this is, this is a private decision. There is no law around this. There's a very heated debate around red flag laws and things like that. We don't get into that. Mm -hmm. Basically, what we're building with the Overwatch project is the friends don't and friends drive drunk model, except instead of talking about alcohol and vehicles, we're talking about firearms and suicide. So you're there, you're helping someone, they're in crisis, help them, potentially maybe try and get them to mental health care, all the things you can do to support them. But while you're there, um, have a conversation about their firearms, right? And there's reasons why this is the case. Um, there's uh, two facts that I point to people, because people, you know, they're so like, firearms are, don't cause suicide. Totally agree with that. But there are two things that are really important to remember. One is lethality, right? Firearms are almost always lethal if you attempt with a firearm. And second is impulsivity. If someone, half of people who attempt suicide and survive say they thought about it for 10 minutes or less. Mm. Wow, that's really impulsive. Very. Yeah. That's a big decision to make in 10 minutes or less. Yeah. Yeah, you have something, you know, there's a bigger picture going on with that. Is this a first step towards implementing the Baker Act? No, we don't. No, the Baker Act is sort of up there with like red flag laws as like. But has due process attached to yes. it. Yes. We don't, this is a private decision okay. between two people who care about each other. Oh, okay. Just like friends on friends so are drunk. So like it's a, not like, it'd be like a mom cop. talking yeah. to her son like, hey, just give me your gun. I'll store it for you when you're feeling a little better then I'll give it back. Now, with this, who's, who are you encouraging possess the firearm? Because, like, in my state, um, my mom and dad can borrow my firearm. Immediate family for up to, I believe, is a 10-day period. And then beyond that, they have to go to an FFL. Well, what we... And if you were to try yeah. to borrow my firearm, you have to have an FFL uh, approval prior to borrowing my firearm. So there is, I mean, what is the rules for what every state is going to be different? In my okay. state, unless you're my mama, you're not getting my gun, and even my mama can't have it for more than 10 days. Wow. Well, well, that's why we present a continuum of options, mm -hmm. right? It's, yes, one solution is your buddy could hold on to your firearm for you, right? And we have a lot of veterans. We actually feature, we have a documentary filmmaker who works with us, and we have a lot of, we have short films on the website that um, feature veterans who are alive today 
because somebody intervened to talk about their firearms or wow. they did it for someone else. Mm -hmm. And so, but there's a continuum of options there, right? It's like, okay, one option is to have your buddy hold on to it. Mm -hmm. The next is... If that's legal. If that's legal, yes, of course, if that's legal. The other one is pop the firing pin out, mm -hmm. right? Or put a cable lock on it, even if they have access to it. The point we always present it is creating decision points between impulse and action. Interesting. So if you had that rock bottom impulse, what is something that could give you a little more time to think? That 10 mm -hmm. minute window, it's, mm -hmm. it's how can you slow that impulse down? Mm -hmm. um, and so the other one is sometimes folks, you know, I, there's no way I'm not gonna have complete access to my firearm at all times because I wanna protect my family. We, ha we encourage them to put family pictures, pictures in their gun safe, right? Mm -hmm. There is a story of a veteran on our website. Wow. So they literally have to go over their family to, to get their firearm. That is one that's so simple mm -hmm. that I would never think of. Yeah. That's really, really smart. I mean, that's... Well, there's actually a story that everyone should check out, which is a veteran who we worked with. He's actually part of a veteran motorcycle group called the Combat Veterans Motorcycle Association. And they developed a program where they would hydrograph a picture onto the grip of a firearm for veterans in Rhode Island where they're based. And he basically, there's a picture on there of his son's picture on his firearm. And he said, you know, I wouldn't be able to kill myself if I was looking at my son in the eye. Mm -hmm. That is so impactful. Yeah. Wow. And I, I, every time I tell that story, I get chills. because I, I, I can see why. It, because I, I was there when he told that story, and it is very emotional. And um, it's the truth, right? Like, it, what do you live for? And so you're trying to, again, that decision point between impulse and action, and action giving people, what do you live for in that moment? And so all these things matter, right? It's... it's, it's Kind of, kind of try to break them out of that cycle in that moment when they're having a rough moment. There are some crazy stories that I've heard of how people do this. Um, one veteran we work with, and we do presentations and trainings with a lot of organizations around the country, and he said that what he does when he's struggling, he frees his, his, his keys to his gun safe in a block of ice. This is something that people do like when they're, when they're uh, addicted to smoking or something mm -hmm. like that and they want to quit. They'll freeze the cigarettes in a block of ice and then they have to break it out to, to do it. And or go have, to the store. Yeah, have to go to the store. So he freezes his, his keys and then his hammer <laughs> in a block of ice so that he has to break out his keys to get to his gun safe, to get to his firearm. And he said that that saved his life. So that just goes to show. The, pe yeah. the people that have this strong of tendency, um, I mean, the measures you're talking about, I mean, there's family interference here. There's families yes. that are working with these individuals that, that are having this type of internal suffering and struggle. How can we, have you any tips to better protect the person that we may be not aware of these types of struggles? Because I think there's one, one component where there's a lot of individuals that may have had a cry for help, um, like you're talking, these are extreme, like, these are extreme self-protection measures you're talking yes. about. Yeah. But then there's those people that it's unidentified. Yeah, I mean, I will say that a lot of these people who I'm talking about, you wouldn't know. Mm -hmm. They're not Scary. waving that flag. 
it is, it, sometimes it's people who are look, they com look completely normal and they go around and those are the kind of folks who... Seem completely normal. Yeah, and, and there's nothing, there's nothing, most people will experience a mental health crisis mm -hmm. in their lifetime at some point. It, it is a fact, we, it is, we need to normalize that conversation. Yeah, we do. You know, so that it's not like, oh, just these folks that are, no, everyone, the vast majority of people in America will experience some sort of up or down at some point in their life. And yeah. so normalizing, destigmatizing that. Totally. Destigmatizing it. And so th there are, you know, in terms of the people that you don't know are struggling, I don't know, I don't know what the, the, the policy is on profanity in, uh, <laughs> in this conversation, but our call to action on the Overwatch project is just effing ask, mm -hmm. right? The full F-bomb, because if you know the veteran community, you know how Oh, they blunt. use it. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Yes. And, and we, we, I've never heard the word, honestly. I Never, ever, right? <laughs> Fork? So, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. All right? Yeah. For, yeah. yeah. So, so that's the, like, ask. Right. Mm -hmm. If you you may see somebody who doesn't seem like they're totally strugg mm -hmm. struggling, but they are struggling maybe, maybe more tell. than you than you think, or like you just seem a little off, mm -hmm. or you know you don't seem as upbeat as you usually are. We're really trying to get people just to go there. Yeah. Right. Have the conversation. Say even if you take, aren't. Take a moment to care. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. And we have a conversation guide mm -hmm. on there that really breaks it down in very authentic language. Mm -hmm. There is nothing clinical or PC about our yeah. initiative. That's good. You yeah. Gotta get, get real. to be real. Yeah. Yeah. There is a common theme that I am noticing today as we speak with, with different, as we hear different speakers and do different interviews and it's situational awareness, but also like awareness of, of people. The mm -hmm. body language of people. The body mm -hmm. language of people. And it's so important to do it. We've talked about strangers walking into a room and assessing strangers, you know, being aware. Well, and that Terry Vaughn was talking about the the difficult thing with your family and intimate members of your family is identifying yes. these cues. Um, because you're used to... Because you have established a baseline with yes. those individuals and you are emotionally attached to them. It's hard for you to reflect an objective lens on mm -hmm. those people. So it is harder to see a struggle sometimes in the people that are closest mm -hmm. to us. Yeah. Because we have an emotional filter that we put over that mm -hmm. lens instead of an objective one. And you want to believe they're okay. Absolutely. Right? You want to believe that they're just going to get through it. And, um, you know, unfortunately that doesn't always, isn't always the case. We are actually working right now on the, the 2.0 version of the Overwatch project. The Overwatch project is peer-to-peer, -peer, mm -hmm. uh, vet to vet, right? Um, and now we're working on a family member version that is, um, you know, spouses, family members, people, again, who are closest to those who might be struggling but might not see the signs, things like that, really trying to equip them to have those conversations at the right time. Yeah, I think that's so important. And then if you, if you have that intuition that something's not right. Mm. We're also learning so much at this conference to really trust that. Mm -hmm. There might be something that cognitively we might not realize, but our intuition saying, hey, this isn't right. And then that's the point as a concerned friend or family member to bring in that objective person mm -hmm. like, hey, you know, I think maybe 
my brother is struggling or whoever this mm -hmm. person might be that you bring in somebody with that objective lens to evaluate because we might be cloudy, but trusting our intuition mm -hmm. and working off of that um, is so important. And, you know, we have to be our own first line of defense. We have to defend our family. And that comes with looking out for them as well. Mm -hmm. And not just in a personal defense situation, but in an emotional defense situation too, where right. they may not even realize that they're down a dark hole or that they're depressed because depression can become a cloud that you know you can't see out of. You don't even realize sometimes mm -hmm. that mm -hmm. that you're there. And um, I think it's something that all of us can have this heightened awareness if you know we just practice those those skills. Mm -hmm. and, and Terry was spot on with a lot of those those behavior cues today. Yeah. Yeah, awareness, you know, yeah. in trusting your intuition. Mm -hmm. I unfortunately have heard so many stories mm -hmm. about folks who are like, I knew something was wrong, mm -hmm. but I was afraid to talk about mm -hmm. it. I was afraid if I brought it up, they would be offended. Or mad at me. Mad at me, yeah. And, and there's, a, there's one of the films on the website is a veteran named Jay, and he had a conversation with his friend who he was worried about, about his firearms, and he said, you know, you might be angry at me by asking this by asking you about your firearms, but I would rather you be angry and alive mm -hmm. than happy with me and dead. That's huge. Yeah. That is Yeah. It's a so big powerful. Statement. Yeah. And powerful. Oh, I'm worried about you. Like, oh, you know, I'm worried about you. You may not be, but I'm worried about you. You mm -hmm. really can't argue with that as somebody who's like, okay, he loves me. This person is, cares yeah. about me. Mm -hmm. I'm gonna I'm gonna listen. Cause you know, he said his dad was the person who would do that for him, right? When he was came back from Iraq with post-traumatic stress and lost some friends to suicide. Um, and he said, sometimes my dad would just notice something, right? And I, and I wouldn't notice it myself. And his dad would talk to him and he would be like, okay, yeah, something's not, I'm going down a bad road here. And that was all I needed sometimes. Mm -hmm. And that is why he's alive today. Wow. So my number one message, message is never be afraid to ask. Yeah. Right? Because even if you do nothing else, you just normalized asking. That's right. And it's okay if you don't know how to help. Mm-hmm. Everybody has their own lanes in which they have their talents and strengths. Mm -hmm. And that is the beauty of so many people with so many different professions and backgrounds. It's okay if you don't know how to help. Mm -hmm. As long as you can somehow manage to direct said person that you mm -hmm. love to somebody that does know how to help. Absolutely. There are so many resources out there. And you said something so powerful, destigmatizing therapy, mm -hmm. mental, emotional health. I mean, it's kind of like the, I just want to say, like, just to destigmatize it on my own, 2020 was hard for me. I started therapy. It changed my life. Like, I was so almost at one point embarrassed to tell people because of that stigma. Mm -hmm. And at, at, when it started to work and things started to change for me, now I want to advocate for it. Mm -hmm. It's all I want to talk about mm -hmm. because I know how important it is for our well-being. It's our physical health, we talk about that so much in our society, oh. right? Financial health, we talk about that so much. Mental, emotional, spiritual, it's just as important. Absolutely. And if you don't know how to help, there is someone out there that does. How do people find your uh, organization or how, where do they get resources? Well, the over the website is overwatchproject.org. Okay. Uh, and I, anyone who, who is listening right now, I really hope, I'm talking to you out there, any veteran in your life, 
you should be checking up on them right now. This is a really rough time. It's been a terrible few weeks and a lot of people are struggling. So this is a moment when you just call and check on them, yeah. check up on them, like say, Give how you doing? Love. You know, tell them you care about them, yeah. that, you know, it is a really, really hard time. Yeah. yeah. It's oh. gonna make me cry. Yeah. It's just, I just see what's happening mm -hmm. in Afghanistan and I think, the veterans that have served for 20 years. Yeah. And they're seeing us pull out. And it's got to be so hard on the mental health. Yeah. You know, and, and that's the other thing. Tell them they matter. What they did mattered. What they did mattered to, to we were protected for so many years mm -hmm. here in the U.S. Other countries, the world was protected by you. Innocent Afghan lives and children were protected by you for so many years. Your, your fellow people in combat were protected by you. what you did mattered and I just I, I worry about the mental health of our veterans because of what's happening now so if you that yes that's yes. such a great point to, to just check on them now and let them know that they're heroes and what they what they did really really has mattered to all of us. Well, there was, there was a veteran who posted, somebody who we've worked with last week, and he said, you know, a lot of people were like, did, it, did we do anything? Did it matter? And he said, you know, if a doctor keeps a cancer patient alive yeah. for 20 years and then they eventually succumb to the cancer, mm -hmm. that doesn't mean that those 20 years of life Ugh. didn't matter, right? They mattered for that person and for everyone in their lives. So think about the millions of lives they have impacted in a positive way. So good. Absolutely. And so, yes, everything you just said, you know, it absolutely matters. Tell them you're here for them. Um, it's been just a gutting few weeks, and now more than ever we need to reach out and support them. And mm. we have a conversation guide that breaks it down that not just awesome. the firearm conversation, but like, what are the signs? How do you go there? You know, how do you, in very authentic language, I mean, that's one thing that, you know, we really focus on bringing some creativity and some grit and some like bluntness to the suicide conversation because we feel like people tiptoe around it. Yeah. Uh, you know, and they, they, and also there's a reason why big companies spend a bajillion dollars every year on advertising because when you communicate messages creatively, it, it reaches. People. It resonates. Yeah. And yeah. so all of our stuff, we, we are big on telling stories of success. Like those veterans who are featured on our website, like I said, alive today because somebody did this. Somebody went there and asked the question. And that's the kind of stories that people need to see more of because mm. unfortunately, you know, it, it's important to tell the stories of people we've lost. But, but sometimes it becomes this very grim narrative. Mm -hmm. Like, you know. You need to have hope. You need to have hope. It's, you need to believe possible. that your, your, yeah. your impact, your conversation, your going there Matters. can save somebody's life. Mm -hmm. Right now, go on the website, take a look at those short films, and you will see people who are alive today because somebody was brave enough to ask. So that is what we need right now. Wow. Again, so you guys, that website is the, or excuse me, just overwatchproject.org. Yes. And, um, and this, the, your guys' self-proclaimed war in America right now is a war on suicide. And um, there's a lot of us that are dealing with a lot of challenges. The, this last week has been an extremely difficult week on our country and on the world. And um, we love and thank all of you servicemen and women out there and your yes. families for the sacrifices that you have made. Yes. And we want to make sure that all of you at home have the resources to be the stewards of those individuals in your own communities and serve them the way that they have served us. Yes, absolutely. absolutely. Thank you, Casey. Thank you, thank you for, for having me. Really appreciate I really appreciate Casey. it. Grateful for the opportunity. Thank you. So thank you. All right, you guys. We will be back tomorrow.
doing it bright and early, so please join us. We love being able to connect with you this way virtually since we're not able to do it in person with you. So just connect with us on social media. Make sure you're hashtagging TWA21, I believe, is and, and, and um, that you're tagging all of the accounts. You're coming up on the social media walls here. And we love seeing your photos, so please yeah. keep posting, keep tagging. Yes. Until tomorrow. Thank you. Hey, everyone. Thank you for staying with me. There are so many people, including our veterans, that are afraid to speak up and ask for mental help. By destigmatizing mental illness, we can help end the national tragedy of veteran suicide by having voluntary measures that help veterans get necessary services during the crisis intervention phase that also does not infringe upon their personal liberty. But Nancy Pelosi is doing the opposite. She is stigmatizing mental illness and attempting to use gun confiscation orders through the implementation of red flag laws. The narrative that's being used is quote unquote public health and safety, which is being used to try and control and restrict citizens' access to firearms by stuffing gun control policy into health policy bills. Now keep in mind that in 1996, the Dickey Amendment was implemented, which is a provision that mandates the federal government that none of the funds made available for injury prevention and control at the CDC may be used to advocate or promote gun control. Now, despite the Dickey Amendment, objective health policy and gun control advocacy have been merged in many of these propositions and it's happening in a nonpartisan manner. We have Republicans in Washington, D.C., like Lindsey Graham and Marco Rubio, that are backing red flag concepts, which is why every single gun owner who cares about our veterans and our Second Amendment and our right to due process needs to urge their representatives and senators to add pro-gun amendments into bills that would strike these gun control efforts. Now let's talk a little bit about the long-term ramifications of what they're trying to put into bills like the HR 4502 and HR 4505, which include the Schumer Amendment. The Schumer Amendment prohibits the ATF from, from removing records from the NICS system, even when an individual has been adjudicated as not likely to act in a manner dangerous to public safety. Now, if a person has been through due process and they have been adjudicated by a judge, why wouldn't the ATF allow those records to be removed from the NICS system? By doing this, the ATF would be directly infringing upon the Second Amendment rights of the citizen. And this can affect a person's career opportunities if they want to serve in the military or law enforcement their reputation, their ability to own a gun and enjoy shooting sports or hunting, but also the most basic right to personal protection. Many of the recently proposed red flag gun confiscation orders, like Section 529 of H.R. 4350, have legislation that, will, that would allow a military court to order American service members' firearms to be seized before they've been charged, indicted, or convicted of anything. 
It's a government-backed confiscation that completely circumvents due process and would lead to veteran disarmament. Now, Speaker Pelosi is attempting to pack gun licensing, red flag gun confiscation orders, and gun buybacks into different appropriation bills. But how can they buy back something that the government never owned? So let's just call it what it is. This is flat out gun confiscation. Now, most recently, the American Rescue Package included, quote unquote, community violence intervention initiatives, which basically means that the Biden administration has been using funds appropriated for COVID relief in the American Rescue Plan to fund his gun control and anti-gun agenda. And until the Biden administration can prove that the community violence intervention funding is not misused to fund gun control and is only used for honest police work, as a gun owner, we must oppose these anti-gun slush funds. We all know that these attacks are not going to stop, and gun owners need to stay involved and pay attention as these lawmakers are continually working to undermine our Bill of Rights and specifically our Second Amendment rights. So please take the time to urge your representatives to respect their constituents' constitutional rights and vote against this type of proposed legislation. I want to give a thank you to Aiden Johnson of Gun Owners of America for sharing this information so that I can share it with all of you. We have to get involved and stand up against these types of bills and protect our Second Amendment. And I want to thank all of you for joining me today for this episode of the Wild and Uncut podcast. If you want to support this program, please give me a five-star rating. And keep in mind, this podcast is also available to watch on my Pursue the Wild YouTube page. So please subscribe and share. Thank you all again, and I'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to the Wild and Uncut podcast. If you would like to hear more, be sure to subscribe to my Pursue the Wild digital series on YouTube and follow me at Christy Titus on Facebook and Instagram.